This is episode number 131 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. Well, since the last time we spoke, uh, not much has uh, technically changed with regard to the presidential election. Donald Trump still lost. Correct. And he is still refusing to concede. Correct. Uh, the numbers have not changed. It appears as if, just as I predicted, that this is going to be almost exactly a mirror image of the 2016 election, where Joe Biden is going to win the exact same number of Electoral College votes that Donald Trump won in 2016, which was 306. He'll do it in a slightly different fashion than Trump did it. But it's really going to come down to, when it's all said and done, almost an identical situation, where this time around, the three states that decided the election were Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. If Trump had won those three, he would still be the president of the United States come January 21st, of 2021. In 2016, there were three states that if they had gone the other way, Hillary Clinton would have been the president of the United States and history would be very, very different in so many, many different ways, in my opinion. Those states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Basically, what we have here, just as I told you, effectively, this was a repeat. This was a mulligan. 2020 was a mulligan for 2016. Only this time, there were a couple of significant, though fairly minor, as far as voting is concerned, voting results are concerned, differences in the two scenarios. The biggest probably being that in 2016, there was massive Democratic complacency and there was the James Comey factor. Those two things did not exist in 2020. And then there's the third factor, which we'll talk a lot about in this today's podcast, the COVID factor and how that played a significant role in specifically the media coverage of the COVID pandemic how that played into why Donald Trump did lose. Now, he did lose, and it's not even going to be all that close. Uh, from a popular vote standpoint, he's going to lose by significantly more than he lost in 2016, even though he got a lot more votes in 2020. Now, he got a lot more votes, partially because it was a lot easier to vote. That's why there were a lot more Democratic votes. I mean, it's one of the great hilarious mysteries on the right, and I see this all the time, and this is somehow uh, de facto evidence, ha, 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 of some sort of voter fraud, is that nobody uh, on the right, at least not of the big Trump fans, even some supposedly respected people with big platforms, are, are saying, wait a minute, how could Joe Biden have possibly gotten more votes by far than any other candidate in the history of the presidential elections of the United States of America when he couldn't draw flies to his rallies and he barely won the Democratic uh, uh, nomination. If it hadn't been for James Clyburn in South Carolina, he got, would have gotten waxed. He, would, he did terribly in the original primaries, the ones that usually mattered, but this time did not. How could this possibly be? Well, it's very understandable. <laughs> First of all, it's never been easier to vote because of the mail-in voting. 
And so lots, lots, lots more people voted. Obviously, it was a highly contentious election. Obviously, the pandemic elevated everyone's interest in it. And then, of course, there's the issue of how much Donald Trump is hated. Correct. Which I've been saying from day one was always the major reason why you don't nominate a guy who is that hated. I mean, you can get away with being hated if well over 50% of the population really like you. You know, if, if 55% really like you and 35% hate your guts, guess what? That's okay from a political standpoint. That's what's happened here in California. <laughs> Basically, we have a governor who is, is popular with well over 50%, even though the uh, you know probably 33 to 50, maybe 40% on a good day, hate his guts more than anybody could possibly ever imagine. But it doesn't matter, especially since the media is on his side and he's a Democrat. Well, you can't get away with that nationally when you're Donald Trump and 52 to 55% of the American public hate your guts because that's why they're voting. They're not voting for Joe Biden. They're voting against Donald Trump. Correct. And that is the primary reason why Trump lost, although we'll get into others as we move along in this episode of the podcast. Before we get into that, though, I do want to at least detail the Trump efforts to try to claim that this election was stolen. Now, let's be clear. Those allegations are just... It's just flat-out ridiculous. It's absurd. There's no evidence to support them. There's no logic to support them. It's completely and totally sensible as to how these votes were counted late for Joe Biden because they were mail-in votes and Democrats were doing the mail-in far more than Republicans because they were deathly afraid of the pandemic. They didn't want to show up in public. Meanwhile, Trump fans wanted to show up in public to show that they didn't care about the damn pandemic. That This couldn't have been more obvious. And, you know, even I was surprised by how much that late vote went for Joe Biden, specifically in Pennsylvania, where the numbers were absolutely astonishing. But they were not outside the realm of rationality. And as we said last week, Donald Trump actually did better in the key state of Philadelphia than he did in 2016, both as far as total votes and as a percentage of the vote. So this was not a situation where there's even overt evidence or or an indication of significant voter fraud. But that's not stopping President Trump and his sycophants from trying to claim that for a variety of reasons. Now, I don't really think, I would like to believe, that they don't really think they're going to overturn this election. Maybe some of them do. I would love to know if Trump really does. My guess is he does not. But he doesn't want to admit defeat. And he wants to have a talking point for whatever he's going to do after the White House. He wants the ultimate excuse. He's been building this excuse for well over four years. This was going to be the excuse in 2016. Had he lost to Hillary Clinton, it was that the election was rigged against him. So this has been long in coming. It's not a surprise. We talked about it constantly. How for real it is among the Trump forces, I have my doubts. But just this morning. Uh, the president of the United States, and, and we're, we're now so desensitized to insanity that uh, this, in a normal world, w- would be raising all sorts of alarm bells. People would be like, I cannot believe this is happening. And it, it's barely even worth a mention anymore, but I'll mention it nonetheless. This morning, the president of the United States, as of this taping of this podcast, tweeted nine times, nine times, an allegation regarding voter fraud or the election being stolen from him, that Twitter had to put, or at least felt they had to put, a disclaimer on, effectively muting or disputing his own tweet nine times. You cannot be serious. The President of the United States, in one morning, 
nine times with claims that Twitter has determined to to require some sort of a disclaimer. Now, I don't like that Twitter's doing that. I think it's a very dangerous precedent. Uh, you know, it feels uh, it feels almost like censorship of the president of the United States. And, you know, if, if this was a situation where there was really a super close election and really legitimate voter fraud being alleged, that would be very dangerous. And that, that, that Twitter was effectively muting, almost censoring the president of the United States. And so now a precedent has been set. What happens in the future if a Republican president really is getting screwed out of an election? Like, let's say there was a repeat of the 2000 election where, in my view, the Democrats did try to screw George W. Bush out of the presidency. Now, he was able to survive because the Supreme Court stepped in, barely, on his behalf. And that was a far, 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 far closer election than in 2020. But you can certainly see, because we've seen it in recent history, a scenario where now all of a sudden these precedents to deal with Trump are going to be set into perpetuity that are going to cause even bigger problems in the future. But let's deal with what's happening currently. Now, a lot of the focus uh, by the Trump people have been on the three key states of Arizona, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. Not so much in Arizona recently. They've kind of seemingly given up on Arizona, even though they kept saying, oh, we're going to win Arizona, we're going to win Arizona. Well, it turned out they didn't win Arizona. Fox News Channel was correct. They might have been a little bit premature, in in their call doing an election night. And the Trump people were furious about that because that was the first state to flip from what happened in 2016 to what happened in 2020. So it was very, very key. But the reality is Fox News Channel was correct. And it used to be that being right was the ultimate vindication. Being right now doesn't matter. Being right now, and I wrote a column about this for media, which you can find it at Individual One Pod, uh, our Twitter feed that's at Individual, the number one pod, uh, which I hope you'll check out. My media column about how Media outlets in this era are now disincentivized to tell the truth. And Fox News Channel now has no incentive. I mean, they they got destroyed. They're getting destroyed in all sorts of ways because they had the audacity to tell the truth about who was going to win Arizona. And maybe they did it a little too soon, but they were right. And that should have been vindication. But that doesn't matter to Trump fans now. Now, partially because their hero is telling them to be pissed off at Fox News Channel, they're all pissed off at Fox News Channel. And other ridiculous right-wing outlets are actually gaining huge audience because of this. Newsmax is sweeping in on the election was stolen narrative, and they're getting massive numbers in comparison to what they normally get for their television outlet. One American News Network, which is a complete and total joke. I mean, it's a fantasy channel for for Trump fans, is, is experiencing the same thing. And Fox News Channel is seeing signs that their their core audience is hemorrhaging. Why? Because they told the truth. They told the truth. It's just flat out ridiculous. About who won Arizona. But it didn't turn out the way the Trump people said. Now, like I suggested the day after the election, it was going to narrow, and it did narrow. But it has not narrowed to the point where it's close enough to where any kind of incidental, accidental, whatever you want to call it, uh, vo- voter irregularities could possibly overturn that result. And without Arizona, nothing else matters unless you can unless you can pull a rabbit out of your hat, which they're trying to do in Michigan. See, they, I guess they know that without Arizona, it doesn't matter what happens. If, you know, if somehow Georgia magically flips, 
and you know they can get a, a legal battle in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter because without Arizona, there's not enough. There's not enough electoral college votes. So I guess that's why now the, Trump wants to focus on Michigan, where something interesting did actually happen yesterday. And, of course, it's being grossly misinterpreted. And that is that the canvassers in the key county of Wayne County, which is where Detroit is, which is where all the votes came in for Biden overnight, which gave Biden Michigan, they voted two to two. Now, why, why in the world do you have a, a who, who, who creates a board with four people, two Republicans and two Democrats? I, I don't know. Maybe there's a bizarre uh, logic to that, because, you know, if the Democrats have three and the Republicans have two, you're always going to have a three to two vote. But, you know, in this, this situation, you're always going to have a two to two vote. And that's what originally happened. They voted two to two to not certify the results out of Wayne County. And then they reversed themselves. There was all sorts of joy and celebration in MAGA world where they celebrate. Oh, my gosh, this is our first real piece of evidence that, you know, this election is not over. That the, the, the board in Michigan has not certified the key results in Wayne County. And guess what? Um, you know, they reversed themselves like an hour or two later and they voted unanimously. The Republicans decided to switch their vote and they did, in fact, certify the election, although they're going to do some sort of investigation as to why there are discrepancies. Now, this is part of what you know, there's so many things that drive me crazy here. But whenever you have a situation where. This many people are voting in an unprecedented fashion with all these mail-in ballots. It's just the nature of the beast that there's going to be in there's going to be discrepancies. The, the voting process, I hate to break this to you, is not perfect. It's never intended to be perfect. It can't be perfect. If it was perfect, it would take forever. It would take months for us to figure out who won and who lost an election. There's no such thing as a perfect election when you have over 150 million people voting in a country this large. It's not feasibly possible. And so there's always going to be numerical errors. Human beings make mistakes. They make mistakes, especially when they're only doing something, you know, once every two years. And at this level, never before in history. So it's perfectly natural. But now the Trump people are taking every little discrepancy, even when they'll, they will fully acknowledge that if everything went their direction, it wouldn't change the results at all as somehow evidence that, oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is, it's all a big conspiracy. And even the Republicans on the canvassing board in, in Michigan, they were coerced and intimidated into changing their votes. Uh, come on, people. Can we please, can we please be serious for just a minute? There, the, the results in Michigan were not that close. I, I, I have no doubt that there are mistakes, discrepancies, uh, maybe even some fraud uh, with regard to voting in Michigan and, and most big po voting populations, cities especially. When you have one party rule in a major city in a, an election this contested, there's going to be some fraud, but it's minuscule. It is minuscule in comparison to the numbers of votes that we're talking about here. Trump would need to reverse tens of thousands of votes. In, in Pennsylvania, it looks like he's now losing by 73,000 votes. That's not that close. 
To use the Florida 2000 example, that was less than 1,000 in a far larger state than Pennsylvania. And speaking of Pennsylvania, you know, that, you know, <laughs> that's, where, that's where the Trump people released their secret weapon. They've been hilariously claiming that uh, they're going to release the Kraken. Release the Kraken. <laughs> it's just flat out ridiculous. Now, I'm particularly in tune with, with this because my eight-year-old daughter loves the Kraken. She's now got a, a favorite NHL team because the Seattle team is nicknamed the Kraken now. So she, so she loves Bigfoot. She, she loves the Loch Ness Monster. She loves the Kraken. So we've been laughing a lot about the, the Trump claims that they're about to release the Kraken, I guess meaning that they've got the secret weapon. Well, the secret weapon turned out to be Rudy Giuliani fumbling all over himself in federal court, making an embarrassment of himself in Pennsylvania, getting absolutely nowhere. In fact, this was not directly related, but the Supreme Court actually reversed the, the one victory that the Trump uh, team did get in Pennsylvania. There's absolutely no evidence of widespread fraud in Pennsylvania. As I've already said, the voting totals there are not close enough. They're not close enough. And yet the Trump people will continue to try to fool their cult with these red herrings, like they found 2,500 votes in Georgia. No, no, they didn't, they didn't find it. It's not like, they, they, oh my gosh, this is the st secret stash of Democratic votes or we were hiding them. They were in a, there's literally a video. They were in a box and the guy didn't realize that these were votes that needed to be counted. <laughs> so, okay, there's 2,500 votes. Great. It's concerning that they weren't found uh, immediately or they weren't already counted. Sure. But my guess is that those votes are probably going to go pretty much right down the line, 50-50, like the rest of the state. And guess what? There's not going to be any change in the results, which is Trump losing by well over 10,000 votes. We're, again, we're not close enough to where any of this stuff actually matters. We're not close enough in any particular state. And this is very important to remember, not one of these states, if they were to somehow flip, would suddenly turn the election to Donald Trump on their own. He needs three. He needs Georgia, Arizona, and Pennsylvania. If you you, you want to somehow magically give him Michigan, okay, then you, you, don't, you don't need Arizona or Georgia. Fantastic. Great. Good luck with that. There's no way that's going to happen. And yet Trump keeps pushing this. No sign of a confession. Confession. Boy, that was a Freudian slip. No sign of a concession. He'll never confess, that's for sure. And he's probably never going to concede, at least not properly. Well, heck, he's already blown the opportunity to, to concede properly. We already know that's not going to happen. But are we ever going to get any sort of concession? Is he even going to show up for the inauguration? The, these are, uh, bizarrely, actually legitimate questions. And this is having a major impact, a major impact on how at least half of his voting base views our electoral system. There's a new poll out today indicating that 50%, 50% of Republicans believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. You cannot be serious. 50%, 50% of Republicans. So approximately somewhere in the, in the realm of 25% of the voting population believes that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. We're better than that. No, we're not. We are not better than that. That's where we are. This is the impact that these lies are having. And this is going to have long-term implications, all out of his own 
selfish desire to protect his own ego. Correct. And whatever future narrative he's trying to create, either to create Trump TV or to pretend he's going to run again in 2024 or to maybe actually run again in 2024. He owns the Republican Party now. Half the Republican Party. He's able to convince half the Republican Party of something for which there is no evidence, no logic, is not true, and which the entire news media, including most of Fox News Channel, is doing their darndest to convince people is not true. And let's not forget, I, I mean, there's, there's so many different elements of this election. One of the biggest losers in all of this is the mainstream news media. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I'm going to seemingly contradict myself here because I do believe that they are the reason why Joe Biden ended up winning and partially because of their coverage of COVID and how they framed that entire issue. But considering what they threw at Donald Trump for four years, they went after him like they've never gone after any president in American history. It's not even close. He got impeached. He got blamed for 235,000 deaths at the time of the election because of the COVID pandemic. They, I mean, they went after him in every way possible in terms never used before that I never thought was possible from a, a supposedly seemingly reputable, formerly reputable news media. And it had almost no impact. It had enough impact. It got the job done, but he got more votes than any other incumbent in American history. And he almost won. He almost won. And so it's really remarkable uh, how little impact, though it might have been significant, the news media had. They basically dropped a nuclear bomb on him, and it really had more of the effect of a hand grenade. That's really what happened. The, the, the news media used their nuclear bomb, and it was basically a hand grenade. It might have blown off a, a foot. And that's partially why he ended up losing. And part of the proof of how little influence the news media has is the entire media industrial complex is going to great lengths, great lengths, unprecedented lengths to say, nope, this election was not stolen. There's no fraud. Donald Trump lost. And yet half the Republican Party says bullshit. No, nope. we believe that this was stolen because we believe Donald Trump and what we want to believe because it makes us feel better about ourselves that's why it resonates. That's why it's gotten traction. We believe that narrative over what the vast majority of the news media, including most of Fox News Channel, is telling us is the truth. That is both remarkable and rather scary. And it hits close to home for me because, as I've already indicated, my wife, who I thought was on the fence with regard to Trump through the last four years, apparently was deceiving me. <laughs> or maybe deceiving herself, or maybe a little bit of both for much of that time, because her post-election depression indicated to me, oh my gosh, she's essentially full MAGA. And, you know, I've been using her as a one-person focus group for a lot of the last four years, and she might have been, you know, deceiving both of us, not on purpose, but just because she knows how I feel about Trump, that might have been part of why she was hiding uh, more of her, her pro-Trump inclinations. But I asked her, how she would respond to that particular question. And she responded in the way that I, I figured that she would. She probably would have said yes, that this election was in fact stolen from Donald Trump. But to her credit, 
Her actual answer, and, and who knows how this played into the polling results, but her actual answer is far more nuanced and at least somewhat logical. In fact, one that I might even partially agree with than just the idea that this was a, stolen directly through voter fraud. In her mind, it was stolen because of the media coverage of Trump in general and specifically the coverage of the pandemic. It was the media coverage of the pandemic that, in her mind, really dictated that Donald Trump had no chance of overcoming this uh, against Joe Biden under the current circumstances. And I would expand upon that idea and say there's value to that, there's truth to that. But this also goes to something that I have constantly said over the last several months. It might have been my, the strongest refrain as we headed into the election about Trump's biggest failing in his campaign. And so it's not just the media's fault. Yes, the media created the COVID narrative, but Trump fell into it. Trump couldn't find his own narrative that made any damn sense on COVID. And if there were two things, I mean, anything this complex, there's always going to be multiple explanations. But if there were two reasons that I would give for why Trump lost an election that at the beginning of the year was eminently winnable. And in fact, if you remember, if you're a fan of the podcast, at the end of each podcast, I was giving the percentage chances of Trump winning. And it was well over 50 percent towards the beginning of the year, especially once he beat impeachment, especially once it looked like Bernie Sanders was going to be the Democratic nominee. It got up to a fairly high number, well over 50 percent. But once COVID hit, then it diminished dramatically. Because this was a narrative that he could not get himself out of. And he couldn't pick a narrative. Yes, I thought, I think, I still this day believe he got a raw deal from the news media framing COVID in the way that they did. I don't think his response was all that bad by their own standards. He basically did everything the liberals wanted him to. Everything. Everything the liberals wanted him to, he did. He effectively handed his presidency over to Dr. Fraudji. And, uh, and, and that's what liberals wanted. And he got duped into a false narrative. And then he couldn't get himself out of it. It was like quicksand. He could not find a narrative that made any sense because he wanted so desperately to believe that he saved 2 million lives by shutting us down and cutting off travel from China and all that business. He so desperately wanted that narrative. Well, that was a false narrative. And it made no sense. And it, and it, tied his own hands for creating a narrative that made any sense that was effective for him. He couldn't he couldn't make the argument against the coming Joe Biden led shutdown or lockdowns and massive federal mask mandate because he himself was making the argument that there's legitimacy to that. You can't argue against the coming Joe Biden lockdown when you're claiming lockdowns save two million lives. Correct. And so that was the biggest campaign mistake. Now, it was facilitated because he was facing a situation that was unfair because of the media narrative created about him. And so I, I, don't, I blame the news media for a completely unfair and false, nonsensical narrative blaming Donald Trump for 230, 40, 50,000 lies, whatever it is at this point, depending on how you do the math, when there are no countries like us, who have been able to escape from this without similar damage. I mean, my gosh, if you look at the United Kingdom, our numbers are almost exactly the same 
as the United Kingdom, only in many ways ours are better because we've had far fewer people die as a percentage of those who have tested positive for the coronavirus. And, uh, and, and you, when you look at, you know, Operation Warp Speed, I don't believe Trump deserves a lot of credit for this, but the reality is it looks like we've got two American companies that, uh, that with the help of, of foreign help, uh, have have created a vaccine with an incredible success rate, around 95%. And, and I mean, and it's happening in record time. So, you know, it's not his, it's not his doing, but he at least deserves some credit for that. He promised it, and it's effectively happening uh, on his timeline. And I'm suspicious, I'm still very suspicious, that it didn't happen sooner because of the election. It's pretty amazing that these announcements are all being made right after the election, which goes right into my wife's theory about how the COVID situation really was the vehicle with, through which the, the weaponization of that cost Donald Trump uh, this election. But if they're, going back to my premise that there are two things that really cost Trump the election that were in his power to change. If he had had the balls and the brains to shift course more dramatically once he realized he got duped by Fauci and had created a narrative that made sense and was something that could put him in opposition to Joe Biden's obvious love of Fauci, obvious predilection for for locking down his ridiculous federal mask mandate uh, edict, which seems to be his entire plan, which is more masks, please. That's his entire damn plan that he keeps talking about. If he had been able to find a narrative with, through having brains and balls and done it soon enough, I think that could have made a difference. And in conjunction with that, and this is something that I was way out of the curve on, I also think he totally blew it on schools. He completely blew it on schools. He was right on schools. If you remember, I back in, I think it was late June, I said his last hope of winning this election is go all in on opening schools. All in on opening schools, doing everything you possibly can to force them open because your biggest problem is going to be with suburban moms. And suburban moms in general are going to want to open schools, not all. And I did miscalculate on how many wanted to open schools because a lot of them are frightened out of their gourd by the news media, far more than I even realized. But when Trump came out right after that and said, I want to open schools, it actually had the opposite effect, the anti-Midas impact that Trump has had, this phenomenon that has happened constantly, where if Trump is in favor of something, the left is automatically against it. And the left humiliated themselves, embarrassed themselves. I will never, ever, 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 ever forgive the forces of the left for what they did regarding schools, all because they wanted to beat Donald Trump. Schools were going to open. And then Donald Trump came out in favor of them opening and my gosh, here in California, the liberal teachers unions didn't even try to hide what their motivations were. The Los Angeles teachers union put out a list of demands for them to open school that looked like it was a socialist uh, sexual fantasy. And this was not uh, an isolated situation. The health director in Los Angeles said we might open schools after the election. No, not not November, after the election. She said it multiple times. This could not have been more overt. This was all about politics. 
These people that pretend to put children first and devote their lives to children actually put politics above all because they wanted so badly and desperately to beat Donald Trump and they hated him so much they lost their fucking minds. And I will never forgive them for that. Ever. It was outrageous. It was child abuse what they did. Not just with regard to schools, but so many other elements of this. And they did it for pure politics. But guess what? They won because Trump blew it. Trump gave up on the issue. I don't know why he gave up on the issue. Maybe he didn't have the the power or the leverage to make this happen in the way that is perceived. I mean, I thought he could use federal funding as leverage. He, he talked about doing that to, to force schools to open. It's possible that maybe they got some polling that the the issue wasn't as effective as they originally thought that it might be, partially because suburban moms are scared out of their minds. But Trump himself, in the final weeks of the campaign, we, we documented it on the podcast, talked about suburban moms, can you please like me? Remember that? Can you please like me, suburban moms? It was obvious that that's where his weakness was. He had won those people in 2016. These are the people in the suburbs of Philadelphia and other big cities. And he lost a lot of support among that group in 2020. And that was a major, major reason why he lost. He lost because there was no Democratic complacency, no James Comey. The media coverage of COVID made him appear as if he had been incompetent and had been responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths. And he lost suburban moms largely because of that, and he gave them nothing in return. I still believe that if he had fought the good fight and had been able to alter the narrative and had forced schools to be open, because let's be clear, the schools that have been open, while they've had hysteria because their rules are absurd in shutting down if, if you even know somebody who got COVID. I mean, it's just insane. It's, it's incredible to me that any of these schools are able to function even remotely. But And I'm not talking about remotely as far as computers. I'm talking about that there are some schools that are able to do this in person. There's been no indication at all that in-person schooling has been dangerous to anybody. And you know how you know? Because we haven't heard shit about it. And if they had been, we would. that's all we would hear about. That's all we would hear about. And there's no evidence of it whatsoever. Trump was right on the issue, and he should have forced it, and he didn't. And it's a big part of the reason why he lost. So if, if you want the obituary on why Donald Trump lost this election, that's my view of it, which actually pisses me off, one, because he was right. I mean, if you're going to get this guy, get him because he's a lying sack of shit. Why? Because he has no business being president. He's a pathological liar and a con man uh, who, who, who uh, created all sorts of very, very, very dangerous precedents, uh, distorting and destroying institutions that we rely on. Now he's doing it with regard to the confidence in the electoral system. I mean, this, these are the reasons why this guy should have been gotten rid of, not because he ended up being right about schools opening and about what was really going on with COVID, but he didn't have the balls and the brains to get himself out of the quicksand that Fauci and the news media put him into. So it pisses me off that this is why he's going to lose. I wish he would have lost for the right reasons, but I don't think he did. Now, as far as COVID is concerned, I am as baffled as anybody as to why this massive new surge of cases throughout much of Europe and the United States has happened over the last few weeks. I really don't get it. Obviously, the weather has changed, but this thing to this day has not been all that impacted by weather in either direction. So that doesn't 
that's not an explanation that, that is satisfactory to me. I don't get it. Uh, now, it's interesting to point out that while the numbers here in the United States have exploded, I mean, they have exploded throughout much, not all, but much of the United States with regard to daily new positive tests, to numbers that are exceeding even the worst predictions that Dr. Fauci had. I mean, when he he said at one point a couple months ago, well, we might get up to 100,000 cases a day, I thought, that's crazy. Well, now we're well over 100,000 cases, new cases a day. I, I don't even like using that term cases because a, a lot of these positive tests are not actually cases, quote unquote, of coronavirus, but okay, whatever. Uh, and so w- what the hell is going on here? It is important to note that so far, while the death rate daily is increasing, it's nowhere near increasing with the percentage of increase in positive tests. In other words, the positive test numbers have like tripled in the last couple of weeks, and the death rate has not gone up anywhere near like that. The death rate has gone up uh, like maybe 15, 20% so far. But of course, there's a lag. There's a lag in that. And, it, you know, the way I look at the numbers, there's no question that the death uh, the daily death rate in the United States is going to keep going up for at least the next couple of weeks. How much? I don't know, but it's going to go up. It's well over you know, like a, like almost uh, 1,200 at this point, a little less than 1,200 a day at this point. Uh, you know, it could easily, in my view, go up to 1,500 in the next couple of weeks. That is not something I anticipated. And I said previously, I am more than willing to say, you know what? The idea of a low-threshold herd immunity theory, which seemed like it had a lot of validity uh, a month or two ago, I've got to believe that that's now closed out the window. That, it, that these new data surges, uh, while not nearly as catastrophic as the media and many liberal Democrats are trying to make it into, it, it certainly shatters that theory. I, I, now, there's still elements of it that make sense. That we're seeing all over the world and here in the United States that places that got hit the hardest previously are not being hit as hard this time, but they're still being hit. And obviously all eyes are on Sweden. Sweden has had a massive increase in cases, more cases now than they've ever had. Their deaths have gone up a little, but significantly. I mean, they're in the concerning category. It would be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks what happens with Sweden. If in the next couple of weeks their deaths start to go up even further than they currently are, I believe they're now at 12 deaths a day for a country of just over 10 million people uh, uh, with or of COVID. If it, if it goes up to 30 or 40 in the next couple of weeks, then you know what? Guess what? There was no less, no low threshold herd immunity factor here, or at least very little. And I'm more than willing to wave the white flag on that once I get the evidence that indicates it's wrong. Now, the argument for that was pretty strong up until this recent wave. But I'm willing to offer a deal. I will gladly offer this deal, yet I'm sure it won't be taken, even though it's a very fair deal. I am more than willing to wave the white flag on low threshold herd immunity being a major factor with regard to coronavirus if the other side was willing to wave the white flag on the issue of whether lockdowns work and whether or not they are worth the collateral damage that they cause. Because this is absolutely amazing to me. We are acting as if we've learned nothing since March. Absolutely nothing. That somehow lockdowns work and don't cause 
massive collateral damage. We've the evidence of this is overwhelming. Where where are lockdowns working? I mean, I, I you know I get all the time. Well, boy, John, the herd immunity theory didn't turn out. Yep, sure doesn't look like that right now. Not you know not a hundred percent there, but getting close. But why are the lockdown people not forced to also say, "Oops, I guess we were wrong about lockdowns." Because look at all the places, not just in the United States, Illinois being a perfect example, one of the hardest lockdown states. They've had by far the worst with regard to cases and deaths over the last few weeks in the United States. So how does that make any damn sense? Instead, all the focus is on South Dakota, which has like 35 people in the entire state. But Illinois is getting crushed, and they're a super hard lockdown state. Uh, but it's not just in the United States. It's all over the world. Places with hard lockdowns are having massive surges in cases and to a lesser degree, but still significantly death. How come there's no forced reconsideration of that? How, how come that the lockdown theory doesn't get destroyed? Because, I mean, this has been a, a very bad period for the low threshold herd immunity people. But I would argue it's been even worse. For the hard lockdown people, I mean, the, I mean, these hard lockdowns, they didn't get lifted. They've, they've still been in effect, and it has had no impact. You can run, but you cannot hide from a virus like this. It's pay me now or pay me later. Or in this case, which seems to be the worst scenario possible, it's pay me later and pay me again and pay me again and pay me again because we're not willing to pay the price up front. And I get the whole flatten the curve thing. Flatten the curve turned out to be the biggest bait and switch in the history of man. And the reality is, we've in the United States, we've never had any major hospital system totally overwhelmed. Not even in New York. Governor Cuomo himself admitted this. Even in New York, they've never been overwhelmed. That, I thought, was the purpose of flatten the curve. Well, flatten the curve turned into the government's allowed to destroy your life to maybe theoretically delay not just death, not just hospitalization, but even the contraction of any peop- anybody getting this illness, getting this virus, which is just absolutely and totally... It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's where we are. That's where we are. So I would offer that deal immediately. I'll wave the, the white flag on low threshold herd immunity if the lockdown people will say, you know what, guess what? We were wrong. We were well-intentioned. I'll even give you absolution. You were well-intentioned, maybe. I'll, 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 I'll pretend to give you the benefit of the doubt on that. You were well-intentioned. You were just flat-out fucking wrong. And this idea that somehow, well, lockdowns aren't working, so we need more lockdowns is insane. You cannot be serious. The reality is this is a virus. Protect the most vulnerable and everybody else that's healthy, live your life. It's very simple. But we so desperately want to have the, the illusion of control, especially government, especially liberals in government. They want to believe that government can control everything, that government should be the source of all power, that government can save you. No, government has absolutely no impact here except when it comes to destroying people's lives to no effect. And that's what lockdowns are doing. And obviously part of this is the whole mask issue. I've been very anti-mask as far as a mandate is concerned from the beginning. There's more vindication for my view on this. Just today, the, the Danish study that has been talked about for months that couldn't find a place 
to be published. It was always presumed that the reason why it couldn't find a place to be published is because it didn't have the right results. I mean, it's the largest mask study done to date. Real world, not theoretical, real world mask study. And if it came out with results that were very pro-mask, my gosh, every scientific journal would be falling all over themselves to publish this thing with banner headlines because that's what the scientific community wants because they switched their position on masks because they didn't want to be left behind when they became a virtue signal, when they became a security blanket for people who were afraid of the monster under the bed, who had nothing else to make them feel comforted. And so it's a pretend device that government can claim that they're actually doing something when they have no actual power to do anything. That's what masks are. And anybody who's logical about it and understands the nature of a virus, understands how small the virus particle is, understands what most masks are, understood this inherently. And so this study finally found a place to be published. And guess what? It turns out that, by and large, there is no statistical impact of wearing a mask. None. None. Correct. Now, of course, this being 2020, everyone's going to find something that they can cherry pick for their own benefit. There is a minuscule, statistically insignificant, minuscule positive impact within this study uh, for those who wore a mask as opposed to those who did not. But again, it's statistically insignificant and does not in any way, shape or form. This is for me is the key part because people misunderstood me on masks. You want to wear a mask, knock yourself out. You might actually do so literally. That's fine. Whatever. I got no problem with it. I, I, I hate it when you force your kid to wear a mask. That really bothers me, especially when your kid is perfectly healthy and you're outside. But that's your choice. You want to abuse your own child. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. But the part that I got a big problem with is when the government mandates, mandates that not just me, but my kid has to wear a mask outside when, when we're not even close to anybody. That's total bullshit. And that is child abuse. And that is government abusing its power. And so the main takeaway for me from the Danish study is not only are masks not effective, there is now no argument whatsoever that they do not, masks do not reach the very high threshold of warranting, justifying a government mandate in a country that is allegedly based upon freedom and liberty. Doesn't come close. But And even the New York Times, while well, they, they put their own spin on it, they actually did a reasonably fair article about the Danish study. I'm sure it will impact nobody. It'll, it'll impact nobody because the rest of the media will, they're already invested in masks. So there won't be enough coverage of this to change public opinion. And like, for instance, here in California, you know, our governor, Gavin Newsom, is a mask Nazi in public. He's in public a mask Nazi. Uh, yet his mask mandate has been one of the biggest failures of any of the mask mandates. We, we, when we instituted a mask mandate in, here Cal in California, our levels of everything were far lower than they have been ever since the mask mandates, especially in Los Angeles where everybody masks up because they're all a bunch of liberals. And so the, the idea that mask mandates work has been obliterated here in California Yet our governor is still all in on masks. He even strengthened his bogus mask mandate the other day, all while he's embroiled in a controversy where just after the election, he held a dinner at one of the fanciest restaurants in his area 
which was indoors, no social distancing, no masks for a birthday party. Unbelievable. You cannot be serious. And of course, the news media here is such a bunch of freaking lapdogs. They, they're framing this as, well, he made a mistake and he apologized and can't we all just move on? Bullshit. It's not a mistake. It's not even just a hypocrisy issue. The issue is it exposes he knows the restrictions are bullshit. That's what it's about. Because he wouldn't, it's not like this was an instantaneous decision whether or not to run a red light. This was a fucking birthday party indoors, no social distancing, no masks, because he thought he could get away with it because it was at a super fancy restaurant. This shows he knows the restrictions are bullshit, that there's no danger in doing this. And here's a guy who's literally telling the entire state they can't have Thanksgiving or Christmas. It, it, it's not just a hypocrisy. It shows what these people really think of what is happening with the virus. They know it's not as they advertised it. They're using it for political theater and power. And this goes not just for Gavin Newsom, the governor here in California, but so many other governors are doing the same thing. And the media is the worst about this because the media is as deeply invested as the liberal governors are. And by the way, some of the Republican governors are actually liberal governors like Mike DeWine in Ohio is a joke. I mean, the, re the reality is the media is deeply invested in the idea that masks work. They don't want to be exposed as having been duped or or forcing people to wear something that didn't actually work. And, of course, they're deeply invested in the entire COVID narrative. Let me give you another example that seems like a minor thing, but I found it to be fascinating and hilarious. So Augusta National just held their bogus version of the Masters Golf Tournament this past weekend. It's normally in April. This year it was in November. Uh, I don't know why they even bothered to reschedule because the entire purpose of rescheduling was to try to save the economy of Augusta, Georgia, which relies heavily on the Masters. But when you don't have spectators, you don't do anything for the economy all, for all intents and purposes. But they had the tournament, no, no real spectators, except, of course, for the members. The members were allowed to be out there <laughs> with very little social distancing. That's all fine because the elites, it's all perfectly fine with them. But there was no, no real spectators uh, and it was a you know very boring tournament. But here's what should have. If COVID was what we were sold it to be, to me, the, the actual real tell that even the news media knows it's not is the following. The guy who won the tournament, Dustin Johnson, the number one player in the world, tested positive for COVID a month ago. Less than a month ago. He tested positive for COVID. If COVID was what we were told, if it really was anything close to warranting the lockdown of our lives, the completely the total destruction of Western civilization, if it was even close, the entire narrative of the Masters Golf Tournament would be this remarkable, unbelievable comeback story that Dustin Johnson has been able to overcome contracting the worst virus in the modern history of man to not just win the Masters, but to win it with an all-time record. That wasn't the narrative. There was nothing. They barely even mentioned he had just tested positive for COVID. Why? Because, well, number one, 
they're terrified of the issue because they know there's no good narrative for them. <laughs> there's no good narrative for the news media to be harping on this because it looks ridiculous that an athlete is able to recover with as if this was nothing because guess what? It was nothing. It was absolutely nothing. And he ends up winning, you know, all oh, the long-term effects of COVID. They're so horrible. And on athletes, oh, my gosh, it's all bullshit. It, and they know it's bullshit because they didn't even bother to make it an issue. In fact, they hid from it. It was the only compelling thing about the entire tournament was that the guy that won had just contracted COVID. And I guarantee you 95% of the people watching didn't even know it because they barely mentioned it. But when you look carefully enough, like with the Gavin Newsom thing and the Dustin Johnson thing, it's obvious no one actually believes this bullshit. And I'm not saying it's not real. It's obviously real. It's obviously terrible. But there's not much we can do about it. And shooting ourselves, not just in the foot, but in the head, doesn't make it any better. And with all this, you know, it's just amazing how depressing this week has been with regard to the more lockdowns and, you know, the the doom and gloom of what this winter's going to be like when we've just had two huge pieces of massively good news with the two different vaccines at 95% success rates. 95%? No one ever dreamed that was possible. Dr. Fauci even almost had an orgasm over the results from these two vaccines. 95%! We should be having fucking parties in the street! Socially distanced, of course. But, I mean, th- this should be this should be the greatest couple of weeks ever. Oh, my gosh. Hope is around the corner. And instead, Dr. Fauci, after his initial, uh, you know, this is awesome statements, is shitting all over this. Claiming that, guess what? You know what? You know, these are, this is great news, but we're still not going to be able to get back to normal maybe ever. We're going to keep, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but we're going to have to keep doing this stuff forever and ever because you know what? It's possible that even if you're vaccinated and, you know, there's 95% chance you can't get this, you could contract it and then give it to somebody else who's not been vaccinated. And therefore, somehow, that means we all have to keep going with the same goddamn restrictions. That is total bullshit. That is complete and total bullshit. No, that that statistically, that is completely and utterly absurd and needs to be nipped in the bud right now. If you get a vaccine that makes is 95 percent successful, even if it's even close to that, statistically, the idea that uh, there is any risk in going back to normal life is totally absurd. You wouldn't even need that many people, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but somewhere, as long as it's over 50, 60 percent of the population that got vaccinated, it would be uh, statistically impossible, impossible for there to be any sort of significant outbreak of this thing. And again, I thought this was about making sure hospitals were not overwhelmed. A vaccine regardless of how many people get it or take it and how successful it is, even if it's close to what's being touted here, makes any sort of major outbreak going forward literally impossible. If the standard was what we were told at the beginning, which is flatten the curve, make sure the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. If we are now going to continue to restrict life 
to this degree or anything close to this degree over the this fanciful idea that we can stop anybody from ever getting this virus again, then we deserve what we get. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that we are never going to get our freedoms completely back in large portions of the United States, especially here in California, unless we fight back. And there's no indication we're going to fight back because we're a bunch of pussies, morons, and our media is completely, totally broken and they're completely invested in this bullshit narrative. And our leaders uh, have, have not been held accountable at all and will not be held accountable. My God, Gavin Newsom should be uh, being tarred and feathered right now over the birthday party alone. And, you know, I've been battling with some media members on Twitter. And, oh, well, we're doing the best we can. And can't you give us credit for asking him the question? Bullshit. You were handed a nuclear bomb and you're turning it into a firecracker. You're a bunch of fucking lapdogs. And this is emblematic of everything that's happened since the beginning of this whole thing. And, and so I'm not optimistic about where it's going to go from here. But getting back to Trump and this wild lame duck period, which I predicted was going to happen. I mean, this is all going down almost exactly as I told you it would. This lame duck period has been crazy already, uh, and it's going to get crazier. We've already seen him fire the defense secretary yesterday or today before he fired the guy who was in charge of securing the election with regard to cybersecurity because he had the audacity to say that it was a great election. I mean, he, you know, that's about the only thing he's able to still do is fire people and pardon people. So guess what? When you've been stripped of most of your legitimate presidential powers and, he, you know, he can't even do a tweet without Twitter putting out a disclaimer, Trump. His own ego is going to cause him to go and do exactly that. So we haven't seen anything yet with regard to the chaos and the insanity other than with regard to claiming that the election was stolen with what we're going to see over the next couple of months before Trump is finally officially out of power. And, and part of that is what's going to go on in Georgia. My gosh, the Georgia Senate races are going to be maybe a bigger, well, I mean, not bigger, but at least as big a deal in my mind as the presidential election. I mean, it's, it is almost as significant what's going to happen with the two runoff elections in Georgia in January for the U.S. Senate as what happened with the presidential election. Because if Republicans win at least one, and hopefully both, in my view, of those runoff elections, if they win both of those runoff elections and have a firm control of the U.S. Senate, then the Joe Biden presidency is going to be a fairly minor deal. There's not going to be much they can do, especially with a Supreme Court that's already effectively at least 5-4, if not 6-3 conservative. So, you know, Biden's going to be in check if those Republican seats or those currently Republican seats stay Republican. However, I am becoming more and more convinced that Republicans are going to be in trouble there in theory, largely because Trump has absolutely no incentive whatsoever for Republicans to win those seats. None. He's, in fact, disincentivized for them to win. Correct. Because what does he care? He's going to be out of office. He actually wants it to be a shit show. He wants Biden to go bananas if he's looking for a 2024 race. He doesn't want everything to be benign and reasonable and moderate. He wants it to be a liberal shit show. He wants there to be he wants to be able to run against socialism if he decides to run in 2024. And so, especially when you consider the fact that Georgia voted against him, his ego's been hurt by Georgia. He's this this election claim stuff has already forced the two Republican candidates to make some absurd statements about the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia. 
There's all sorts of things here that are concerning. Now, I'm not saying the Republicans are going to lose both those seats. I, I don't think they're going to lose both. I, I'm concerned they might lose one. They could lose both. But because uh, there's, you know, I, I also think that there's some things working against Democrats in Georgia. Like, for instance, all these governors locking down and the virus cases getting worse and this looming idea of a Joe Biden lockdown in Georgia, I think does not play well for the Democratic candidates in Georgia. It might in some other states, but I, I think that's a narrative that hurts them there. That the, 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 the need for a check on Biden is going to be greater and there's going to be a greater imperative on that because the, the virus appears to be getting out of control again. And the impetus for a Joe Biden, Dr. Fauci lockdown is going to be greater and greater. So I'm not predicting that Democrats are going to win those races, but I am more than concerned uh, because of Donald Trump's ability to deactivate his base, deactivate his cult with one tweet. And so I don't know how Mitch McConnell is going to keep Donald Trump in line, uh, but he better do it because that's going to be a major, major narrative going forward and one that we'll continue to cover on this podcast. Now, as far as the future of the podcast is concerned, we're still not 100% sure when we're ending it. We will be ending it uh, shortly because obviously you can't do an individual one podcast when individual one is not the president of the United States. Although there's some people involved in this podcast that would like to continue it to, to see what he does next. Uh, we may end up going towards the inauguration, which is January 20th of 2021. That's probably the most likely scenario. We'll do our, our final podcast around that time, either just before or just after. Next week, barring a major development, we'll be off for Thanksgiving. And then we will continue going back to doing weekly podcasts on each Wednesday, surely into December. So you have that to look forward to. And as is always the case, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Until next time, my name is John Ziegler. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Keep your social distance. This is the Global Story Network.